Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on this evening. Hope everybody's doing well. Listening to a weekly UConn football chat here, and I'm glad to be joined again by my buddy Pete Callen. How you doing, buddy? Doing well, Bobby. Hope everybody out in Husky Nation is doing well, and uh, hope your guys are um, surviving the really arctic conditions up there. Stay warm, people. Stay safe, um, and I hope you guys are, uh, you know, surviving up there. So, in the meantime, what we'll warm you with our lovely chats about our Huskies. So let's go get it. Absolutely. As somebody who lives in the Midwest, like myself, going through the frigid temps, stay strong, everybody. I, 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 I'm going through it too. But like we said, we're here to talk Husky football. We'll talk about a couple of uh, our former players now that have transferred elsewhere. We had another player enter the transfer portal. Got a commitment from a preferred walk-on. Um, Coach Moore had some interesting uh, discussions this week when it comes to uh, potentially hiring a defensive coordinator. And then I'm going to talk to Pete uh, one-on-one about a, an interesting topic. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that shortly, though. But let's first talk about the commitment we got. Uh, Bryce Anderson, 6'5", 225-pound tight end from Milton Academy in Massachusetts. Like I said, he's coming in as a preferred walk-on. Um, had offers from Marist and Stonehill, uh, choosing to come to the Huskies. Really, really good size. Um, so, as always with the preferred walk-ons, I mean, you just want you just want to see if it's something you can work on, work with, and he definitely seems like uh, he looks the part. Well, I think again, you can't teach size. Six five, two twenty five is a is a pretty big guy. Um, out coming out of high school, um, in looking at his tape, in his junior year, he showed some uh, some definite shiftiness against the competition. He was playing. He looked like um, he was a guy that, for his size, was was playing above um, some of the opposition uh, oppositional talent that he was going up against. Ran good routes when he had the ball. Uh, was was shifty. Was shifty. Uh, pretty shifty for a big guy, uh, taller receiver. Um, the thing that uh, you would notice if you were a coach recruiting him is that um, there would be, or you would expect to see more improvement his senior year over his junior year. And that might have been the reason why his recruitment was um, at the level it was. Um, he can... I think with a lot of hard work developing into something, and I think with a lot of um, hunger, be able to develop into something. He showed um, pretty decent hands. The quarterback who threw to him is being recruited by us. Um, it appeared to have enough of uh, juice on the, on the ball to deliver, you know, passes to him that you know he had to learn how to handle. He, he seemed to catch everything with his hands away from his body, so. Uh, there's stuff there to work with. He looked like a pretty decent blocker as well. Uh, just be interesting to see, you know, with the elevation of competition, how he adjusts and how he adapts um, and when he joins the Huskies. Absolutely. And, I mean, coming into a position where we know that we've we've lost a couple guys and we, we've recently 
lost uh, Brandon Naminsky to the transfer portal. We wish him the best of luck uh, moving forward for him. Um, how, how could you how could you see Mr. Anderson? I, I know it's going to take some development, but like he's coming into a position where there there might be something there. Well, you know, we're kind of, believe it or not, we're kind of deep mm-hmm. at, the, at the tight end position. Um, we have Louis Hansen who we transferred in. We had Rianthony Brown who, you know, a couple of years ago was an offensive tackle who, um, you know, converted to being a tight end um, after his illness uh, a couple of years ago. But seems to be developing well. Um and we have uh, Tony coming in, or is, is in the transfer from TCU. Bo Estes is still there. Um, and we have um, Dominic Toy coming in uh, as a recruit. So we have people there um, that can all fill in and are going to be vying for spots uh, moving forward. Um, the last guy... Nick Harris, I'm sorry. I was having a little bit of uh, trouble remembering the last guy. He's worked his way up into mm-hmm. uh, full starting rotation quite a bit in the tight end spot and uh, caught a touchdown pass or two this season as well. So uh, we have enough people where I think we could be functional there. It seems like the coaching staff is, uh, is very high on the types of tight ends that we have to kind of help um, Nick's offense run a little bit more efficiently and maybe in, the, in a way he envisioned. So um, he joins a good group. I think Bryce, again, with some work and some development, you know, could could be a uh, possible good addition. We'll, but time will tell. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, looking at now two, two former players that we've just seen leave the program – uh, we, we've seen Zion Turner uh, commit to Jackson State. And then just tonight, uh, Cam Ross deciding to go to JMU. Obviously, we wish both those guys the best of luck. Um, Pete, I know you and I have have been fans of Zion Turner, and I know we're both ex- extremely excited for him in uh, Rich Rodriguez's system there at Jacksonville State. Zion's a winner. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed that here. At this university, um, you know, for whatever reason, things didn't work out. I think his fit at Jacksonville State with Rich Rod's offense is a great fit for him. Uh, we we talked about I think a few shows back about you know fits and, and background fits in terms of offensive systems. You know, Zion ran the spread system where he only lost two games in high school uh, at a, a prominent high school program in the spread. And now he's going to go to, you know, one of the gurus of the modern spread offense and Rich Rod. Um, I'm pretty excited. I won't be watching Jacksonville State games just to see, you know, what he can do. Um, should he earn the starting position there? Because um, I think he'll be pretty dynamic in that system. He's a great passer, probably one of the better passers that um, Rich Rod might have or have had for a very long time. And I think he'll do great at offense. Um. So yeah, man, I, I'm I'm going to be watching those games closely. 
Absolutely. And then Cam going to JMU as well. Um, best of luck to him as well. I think Cam is going to be a good fit um, offensively, what they're going to be running um, at JMU. Um, Holy Cross coach. Um, all I remember, unfortunately, is this game against us where he basically he knows how to call offense enough to exploit weaknesses on the defense and win games. He did a lot at Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be surprised if he does it at JMU. Um, and I think Cam is going to be a great addition and, and a playmaker that could uh, help them out. Absolutely. And uh, just just this week, we saw some uh, comments from Coach Mora talking about potentially hiring a defensive coordinator. By no means do we have any leads on this situation or anything or what they might be looking at. But I, I know it's something that's been heavily discussed among the fan base. And Pete, what do you think is – what should we be looking for in that in that role? I think Coach Moore is going to be looking for somebody that is philosophically similar, um, that sees the game as he sees it, I think, and can possibly call it the way he calls it. Um, Someone who's going to know how to problem solve, um, both in game planning and on the fly, in terms of getting players um, in position to help them win games and get him in a position where he doesn't have to worry about that side of the ball so he can, you know, take care of more of the managerial kind of, you know, characteristics and aspects of his job as head coach. Basically, he wants to find someone you can trust that can turn that, that sucker over so that he can be a head coach. Um, the defense can um, have, a, uh, you know, a leader in terms of play calling, game planning, and, um, hopefully have the same success or better than they had um, over the past couple seasons. Um, I think he's just looking for someone that basically can take a little bit off of his plate so he can focus on being more of a head coach. Absolutely. Both of us being former head coaches, Pete, like how, how difficult do you feel like that role that he's had now for the past couple years how much extra do you feel like that's adding to his plate? Probably a lot, especially with this new environment that he's trying to learn to adapt to mm-hmm. and be efficient in operating. And um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a lot on his plate. Um, uh, I think it's very wise for him to get someone that he could administratively trust to run the defense, and uh, so he can focus on those on those things to you know build. UConn in the way that he had hoped to and, and envisions uh, uh, for the entire college, uh, for the university and, and you know for his own standards as well. I, I think uh, I think a lot of the dynamics that have changed in the sport have really probably for him and a lot of other coaches made him rethink how he has to operate in terms of uh, running a team. <clears throat> I would certainly agree with that. I mean, just look at looking at it the way that we look at it 
from the former seats we had, I, I, I can only imagine just having to run a program in today's world of college athletics. It's, it, there's just, like, we've talked about this off air, like, you're not only recruiting for the next season, you're recruiting your players that are on your own roster currently. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. You're recruiting your own players back. You're recruiting players for the next year while trying to manage a growing environment where you don't have the, quote, contractual agreements that you do in pro football mm-hmm. in terms of length. Um, you're constantly dealing with, you know, change that borders on chaos and that you still expect to play pseudo-daddy to a bunch of young kids that, um, you know, in terms of some parents' expectations also, you know, still along the old lines of how college football is and how it should be in terms of developing relationships. So that's a lot of strings being pulled on you. And, you know, all human beings, you know, they have their limits, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I feel for these coaches because I honestly think it's, uh, from a human aspect, this whole NIL deal is, is creating an environment that uh, can create a lot of burnout. Um, and we don't want that for more or anybody. I mean, they're still human beings. And um, all the more reason why I, I want to push Congress to do something about it, somebody to do something about it. You know, that's something that I've thought out, thought about a lot recently is that burnout aspect. I mean, I experienced that as a coach, I'll be completely honest. And I wasn't, one, I wasn't coaching at this high of a level like UConn. I was coaching Division three in junior college. And just like you said, in today's landscape, I just feel like the way things are, I feel like it's going to become more and more prevalent. Hopefully not. I think... And I hope that everybody involved with the sport realizes the path this is going. And mm-hmm. It's not the healthiest. I, I think that consensus that consensus consensus is becoming more and more vocal. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's got to be a way to balance things out um, so that everybody benefits. Um, but at the same time the sport from a operational cultural and business standpoint doesn't implode upon itself. Um, and that's, that's not just for football it's for all athletics, honestly. Right. Because right. we even heard, you know, comments from Gina Ariama this week about how it's affecting women's basketball as well. So it's affecting athletics as a whole. And, um, for the people that want to argue that the players should get theirs too, Yes, I understand that, but at the same time, we're talking about, you know, if we're talking in pro sports, people in their mid to late 20s, early 30s not being able to manage a lot of the decisions. What makes you think that 19 to 22 year old can manage their choices if they don't have, you know, top flight contracts, NIL deals? you know, school hopping until they hope they hit the lottery. That's mm-hmm. not practical. It's 
not practical for the athletes, not practical for the athletic programs. Um, that's the part with the mid-major and lower-tier players that's going to hurt the most, where it benefited them because at least they had, with their scholarship, an opportunity to better their life. And that's the whole point of these athletic programs is to give kids an opportunity to better their life. Mm-hmm. And I know we can both attest to that as our, our lives. I mean, because of being a part of college athletics while we were in college, our lives have been impacted in a much better way. Yeah. And there's a benefit to not having the uh, lottery mentality as opposed to having a process mentality and, um, the lottery mentality is nothing more than a glorified results oriented kind of thinking in, you know, all sports psychologists, all regular psychologists will tell people that, that, that kind of mentality, if, if results don't go your way, will lead to a lot of anxiety, a lot of mental health issues, which is probably why we're having that problem in this country now. Mm. And again, at least with the old system, it made people, uh, become more process oriented, made people think about their plan B's in life. And so, um, again, if we're serious about college being about the educational experience, as well as taking advantage monetarily, then let's, let's go about the business of doing both. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, people that are proponents of this, don't pretend that these athletes are handling it well because they're not, um, and don't pretend that these systems are going to be self-sustaining the way they are because they're not. Uh, there's got to be a balance. There's got to be some restrictions. So in terms of, you know, you want freedom to operate. It's just like the comic book experiments that you have to have some kind of responsibility to have good freedom. So those boundaries need to be put in place. Absolutely. Awesome. I'll be get off my soapbox now. So. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. <clears throat> Sh shifting now to uh, a point that you and I, I think, we've discussed for a little while, and uh, Coach Moore and company kind of discussed it a little bit this week when it comes to the potential of being in a power conference moving down the road and, and the like, and what what it, what it would mean to potentially have an on-campus stadium. And Pete, I know you played, when you played at UConn, you played on an on-campus stadium. And I guess the first question I would have for you when it comes to that was, what type of environment was that like playing on campus at that time? Well, it was logistically... It was nice as a player because you usually stayed um, on campus and we go to lunch hall and get breakfast and then be able to go back to our rooms, have a little bit of uh, relaxed time, away time, and then walk to the stadium a couple hours before the game, be ready to play. So there's a nice routine in terms of it, you know, being pretty, pretty cool in terms of you know, being able to take care of yourself and get your, get your mindset ready to play. I'm sure things are a lot different now, you know, teams stay in, in 
you know, hotels the night before and then travel um, to the stadium. I don't, I don't think it'll be any different if there's an on-campus stadium now, but um, it's certainly more accessible for the students to come. Um, I think you definitely get more student attendance and, you know, with that and with, you know, combined with success on with the on-campus stadium, you get more fans, you get more interest in the long run. I think um, that's what will help build the program. I know in terms of, you know, also playing at night in stores, um, there's, there's a different energy for sure. Uh, I was part of the first night game that was played at stores, and that was absolutely electric. Uh, we set an attendance record at the time. Uh, I remember one of our starting linebackers, Troy Ashley, knocking two helmets off of opposing players that night with hits that echoed through the stadium. Um, the charge was definitely different. I, I think, you know, just from a, a little bit of a, you know, intimidation factor, it'd be different than having a team bust in at stores at night. Um, just because there are no street lights, and anybody that's grown grown up in the city, you know, I think that's a little, it's a little creepy, a little, little uh, spooky, especially when you hear all the stories in New England about the old witch trials and stuff. And at least what I did when I was a kid. So you know, it was just, uh, I think it's a different energy. It would be, be a lot of fun for the campus, a lot of fun for the fans, definitely for the players. I'd be all for it. I, of course, of course, I'm for it, but I also, I'm not going to sit here and act like I understand the entire process because I've never been to campus. I've been told by many people the 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 logistics of camp campus and the setup and the roadways getting there and everything and how difficult it might be from an infrastructure perspective to do something like this. What what are your thoughts on that? I think that's the straw that's starting to drink right now um stores are surrounded by uh, local communities that have been resistant to any kind of major build up outside of this of the uh campus grounds and stores and you know if anybody was out there um visiting or even having lived in near towns, especially in Mansfield, that know why, because it's it's beautiful out there. Um, you can go trout fishing only a few miles outside of campus, at least, you know, when I lived there. Um, there's a lot of picturesque woods, reservoirs, you know, things that, you know, people, you know, value in terms of, you know, quality of life when they buy houses out there. So and the concern would be, you know, if you bring in 40,000 extra people, you know, six, seven times a year, uh, what they would do locally, um, what kind of, you know, processes the, the university or the state would have in terms of dealing with that kind of inflow of traffic, you know, not only from, you know, from a traffic standpoint, but, you know, also from a logistics standpoint, just in terms of basic, you know, services, garbage, things of that nature. Um, you can see why they, there would be concerns. So, uh, I think and hope that the university would have a plan um, to ease the concerns of the locals that could maybe offer a way for it to be a win-win. 
you know, not only economically, but you know, logistically for everybody there. Uh, because I think, um, you know, having an on-campus stadium in that part of the state would be something special. What do you feel is the maybe the right capacity for a venue like that for UConn? I'm going to say something sarcastic. Anything that can make the most amount of money for the university. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> I, I think that's how they're looking at it. Right. Um, I would say, uh, honestly, if they're looking to play big, I was, honestly, they got to be 45,000. Mm -hmm. 40 to 45,000. Um, that that's probably the mark now you can maybe have it small but then have some bells and whistles attached to it like make the stadium the stadium grounds i don't know design it for other uses um uh i'm not a big architectural fan but you know, something that could make the grounds attractive for something else, either nationally or internationally, you know, sports-oriented-wise, that would attract other events, that could attract other events there. You know, if you had a retractable dome that could be turned into a basketball stadium 30,000 deep, I'm pretty sure that would be pretty attractive as well. You know, you got a whole bunch of options that could make it state-of-the-art and make it attract an attractive destination for a lot of things um but again it has you know what kind of balance is it going to strike with the locals and with the infrastructure and things of that nature um but the size would probably be 40 to 45. Mm -hmm. maybe that... a, an expansion expansion ability to 50 55. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking as well, and I, of course we we've all we all know the rumblings and everything that go around with all the conference talk and everything, and I I, I just thought with with it being a little bit slower time now from the football perspective, this would be an interesting topic for us to discuss. I mean uh, we've we've seen different people like Mark Diamilo and and some others throw around the idea when it comes to raising money for it and everything. And I'm not going to act like I know how much, how much money you need to uh, build an on-campus football stadium, but we know it's not cheap. Well, Dave Benedict gave a quote of about 500 million. Mm -hmm. So um, like you said, it's not cheap and we don't know what their plans are. We can speculate mm -hmm. everything that's going on. Um, I think the most important thing right now, regardless of whatever plans you have, is, uh, you know, establishing an identity, um, with the program, winning with the program, and continuing the success with, um, the other pro other programs, other athletics in the Big East. Um, I think a lot of UConn fans, you know, my advice is to just, enjoy what's going on with basketball and enjoy the process of what's going on with football and 
you know, whatever happens in the future, we've got to worry about it in the future. We've got, we've got to worry about the now, right now. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I guess, I guess a great way for us to end the show tonight would be, uh, we're not going to go in depth about all the, all the players that we've offered, but we have been offering a significant amount of 2025s, 2026s, and even a couple 2027 recruits. So, uh, our our coaching staff has hit the trail hard, and they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, I, I every day we're getting some new offers out there, and you love to see it. You know, what's interesting to see is the types of players that they're offering. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think people have to realize, you know, we weren't sniffing these players a couple of years ago. They wouldn't even entertain offers, and now. You know, a lot of these types of players are putting on, you know, putting UConn on their Twitter handles and, you know, showing the world that us, along with a lot of, you know, P5 schools are recruiting these these types of players. So kudos to the coaching staff, um, you know, for their efforts and for getting in a rhythm to, you know, try to build this program. Um, I think... It, it, it took it's taken a while because they've had to build a lot of things and build things in, a, in an environment that quickly changed from the environment they originally entered mm-hmm. you know you got to give this staff you know kudos to you know adapting on the fly to everything that's going on it's not an easy job but they're doing absolutely i mean just we've said it before we'll say it again we're we're super proud of what all those guys are doing they're just doing a tremendous job and and we we can see the trajectory of things and how it's going and it's it's fun to be a part of yeah it is and um you know i'm interested to see what happens in 24 i think a lot of people are um Mm -hmm. you know it's lot of things coming ahead so we'll see what happens <clears throat> absolutely and I, I i do know that february 3rd we are having a junior day uh, where we're going to have a lot of guys visiting hosting a lot of different players i've already seen some guys posting things on twitter x um, about coming up for a visit and obviously pete and i will be on on top of it hopefully we get a couple commitments and we'll go from there but there's some exciting things going on at stores. Absolutely. Um, looking forward to all the dynamics, all the uh, scheduled events. Uh, looking forward to, you know, who's going to be attending Junior Day. Um, again, just exciting times. Uh, exciting times for the program and um, exciting times for the team. It seems to be rebuilding itself. And like I said, I'm just interested to see with all the pieces that they're getting, what it turns out into, you know, all the panic that we had at the beginning or at the end of last season with, you know, some of the guys that we saw leaving and some of the guys that we saw leave the season before. It just seems like uh, they've gotten a handle on things and at the bare minimum replaced some of the guys that we've lost. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I I want to see what's going on. I want to see I want to see the Huskies play. I'm already anticipating, you know, waiting, uh, anticipating the 24 season. 
all of us want to wash that 23 season and out of our mouth, but you know, it looks, looks promising so far for 24. Absolutely. And, and I saw recently that the, the updated 2024 schedule, they should be <clears throat> releasing it in the next few weeks. So be on the look, look out for that Husky nation, because it'll be exciting to see upwards to eight home games, potentially. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it all tracks out, but, uh, they had to do some adjusting <clears throat> to the schedule with Army going to the American and, and moving some things around. But we, we're we going to have at least seven home games this year. That's a tremendous opportunity if we do have the amount of home games in a row that we could have mm-hmm. and the amount of home games total to you know turn things around. Um You know, a, a lot of people kind of poo-pooed and, and said that, you know, be hard to do things as an independent. Kind of depends what you do as an independent and how you just set things up. And, uh, again, we don't want to speculate like, you know, like we did last year on, on a number of wins, but there seems to be an opportunity, let's put it that way, for the for program to turn things around. And it's just a matter of, how our Jimmys and Joes execute and uh, make that turnaround and uh, into a reality. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, as always, Pete, I appreciate you joining me every week. It's always a blast talking with you, and and uh, we love doing this. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Hope uh, you know we gave some information to Husky Nation again. We appreciate all the listeners out there. Uh, tune in and uh, value what we have to say um, we're very blessed and very honored to you know have your ear and respect so thank you very much absolutely agree with that again thank you everybody Pete let the listeners know where they can follow you you can follow me at uh, pkalen33 on x again x at p-c-a-l-i-n-3-3 absolutely everybody give them a follow feel free to follow me personally at coach underscore b will that's with one l and then of course the podcast account at tnt college foot one as always we'll be back next week um, hopefully after my uh, detroit my beloved detroit lions win the nfc championship don't want to get too uh too excited about that but we'll be back next week everybody thanks again for listening Uh, God bless and go Huskies. God bless, be blue, go blue.